Welcome to the Red Words Podcast, where we pursue a personal relationship with God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Join us weekly as we deep dive into the dynamic and oftentimes curious Holy Spirit-inspired book of God's Word. In Revelation chapter 14, John foreshadows God's judgment upon the earth and his resulting wrath and vengeance. Keep in mind, we are still between the sixth and seventh trumpet judgments, and anyone learning about God's plans through Revelation right now can see that God is still providing his amazing grace to the world. Once the tribulation and great tribulation arrive, all those who chose against God will be judged by God, and they will experience his wrath. Oh, that prior to the tribulation the wise will heed his word and come to him, for this is the deep desire of the Lord God Almighty. Here is Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him one hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written on their foreheads. We first met these men in Revelation chapter 7, and here we learn two things about them. The original 144,000 are still very much alive after all the persecution and martyrdom. These men have been faithful and true in their teachings, and as God promised, they've survived the Great Tribulation. Secondly, they stand with the Lord Jesus Christ in Zion. This foreshadowing shows us that when Christ returns, these men will be with him in the holy city Jerusalem by his side all the way. Verses 2-5 through five tell us just how sanctified these men are. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Let's switch back to verse 1 for a moment to get a greater understanding of Mount Zion and its importance. Mount Zion is the temple mount in Jerusalem where Solomon's and later the temple of Ezra and Nehemiah stood. King Herod remodeled that temple and it is the one that was on the mount during Jesus' ministry. It is Herod's temple that Jesus said would be destroyed and not one stone would be left standing. In A.D. 69 and 70, that is exactly what happened. All that remains of Herod's temple today is the Wailing Wall. But... Now, the Muslim Dome of the Rock Mosque dominates Mount Zion, and we learn about it in chapter 13 as the place given over to such evil that it should not even be measured. It is so insignificant that God literally ignores it. So the big question is, why was this building constructed on God Almighty's most sacred place when Mount Zion isn't even mentioned in the Quran? The answer is simple. Satan was attempting to thwart God's plans to rebuild his temple. But in the end, it will be Satan's henchman, Antichrist, who brings the peace treaty that causes the entire world to demand that God's temple be built. Great stuff. 
because we know that God's plan is to place King Jesus upon David's throne in the holy city of Jerusalem and on Mount Zion in the location of Solomon's temple. From there, King Jesus will rule and reign for 1,000 years. In the meantime, though, the prophet Zechariah in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, gives us important insight regarding what happens in the future to the nations who come against Jerusalem. Behold, I will make Jerusalem like a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they send their armies to besiege Judah and Jerusalem. On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try and move it, but they will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. Throughout Psalm, Scripture tells us that the Lord has chosen Zion as his own. The 144,000 will be delivered there. The kings of earth are gathered there. The kings of earth are cut down there. King Jesus will rule with a rod of iron there. Israel will be united there. From Jerusalem, the new Babylon will be destroyed, and vengeance upon the nations will occur there. Quite obviously, Mount Zion is very important to God, and he proclaims this seven times in this chapter, using seven different angels. We're introduced to the first angel in verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the eternal good news of the gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Have you heard the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? That he came to earth from his heavenly home to live as a man, though he was fully God? He came to live, die, and be resurrected to live again, so mankind can choose him and live with God forever. It's that simple. So recognize that these verses are not for the earth dwellers of the future. These verses are for humanity right now, telling them to fear and respect and love the Lord God for who he is because he alone is the creator. And because of that, he will judge all those who fall into great iniquity because they don't choose him. The second angel is introduced in verse 8 with another proclamation. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen. The great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. And now we learn that Babylon becomes Antichrist's and Satan's capital city during the tribulation. From there, they wreak havoc and destruction upon the world. This verse foreshadows the city's destruction, and we learn more about it later in Revelation. Verse 9 introduces the third angel, and he tells the world what happens to earth dwellers in verses 10 and 11. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue, or who accepts his mark on their forehead or on the hand, shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, 
for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. God's judgment doesn't get any clearer than that. He will not tolerate anyone who chooses Satan because throughout history, God has provided his love, forgiveness, redemption, truth, peace, hope, and joy to all humanity. He sent his son as visible proof of his love. Those who chose him spend their lives trying to bear his witness. They love, provide, share, and forgive, all in hope of overcoming their sin natures. This is an ongoing attempt to remain within his peace and joy. Conversely, those who choose Satan live in pride, egotism, lies, deceit, control, and iniquity. They will never achieve peace and joy, and the tragedy of this fact will be revealed after the harpazo, when God's church is removed. The foreshadowing continues in verse 12, and then the fourth angel is introduced in verse 13. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their good deeds follow them. God's beloved tribulation saints, the persecuted and the martyred, kept his commandments and they maintained their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew their deaths would result in their reward. Then the fourth angel confirms this fact and he is answered by Holy Spirit, exclaiming that the murdered can rest now and their good deeds will be rewarded in heaven. Hallelujah. And now in verses 14 through 15, the foreshadowing reveals what happens to the people who choose against God and persecuted and murdered his beloved. The fifth angel is introduced in verse 15 and he calls for God's wrath to begin. Then I saw a white cloud and seated on the cloud was someone like the son of man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to him, sitting on the cloud, Thrust your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. A white cloud specifically? What does that mean? Throughout scripture, the white cloud represents the Shekinah glory of God, his Holy Spirit the third person of the triune Godhead. He is the one whom Jesus sends to indwell his beloved who have chosen him as their Lord and Savior. Seated upon the Shekinah glory of God is his Son, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who wears a golden crown and carries a sharp sickle. What in the world is a sickle? It is a short-handed farming tool, usually with a wooden handle, and has a semicircular blade that is used for cutting grain, lopping, or trimming. One swipe from a sharp sickle can cut through a small to medium-sized tree branch or harvest a full sheaf of wheat. Used against flesh, it can kill like a sword because the curved blade captures the perpetrator and does not release until the cut is completed. Angel number five appears out of God's temple in heaven, and he shouts to King Jesus that the earth is ripe. Interestingly, the Greek defines ripe as being late in the harvesting, where too much time has passed, and the grain or fruit or whatever is being harvested is now withered and useless, but must be cleared for the new crop to grow. 
Verse 16 foreshadows King Jesus as he begins his earthly cleanup. So he who sat on the cloud thrust his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Angel number six also carries a sickle, while angel number seven comes forward from the altar, and they assist in the earthly cleanup, as we read in verses 17 through 20. After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, who had power to destroy with fire, came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, Swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. God's angel does the harvesting of the withered fruit. The earth dwellers are depicted as grapes. They are the walking dead, the multi-millions who march under Satan's leadership into the battle of Armageddon, where they will meet their judgment and destruction. The Valley of Megiddo, hence the name Armageddon, is a narrow, 180-mile-long valley that stretches from north of Jerusalem, east and south to Petra. The earth dweller's blood flows through this valley in a river some four feet high past the Jewish remnant. God promised to protect his people Israel from Satan's army, and they witness the fulfillment of this promise. Please note, the battle of Armageddon is covered in great detail in Revelation chapter 19. But is this scripture in Revelation the only scripture that speaks about the valley of Megiddo? It is not, as we read in Isaiah chapter 63 verses 1 through 6. Who is this who comes from Edom, from the city of Basra, with his clothing stained red? Who is this in royal robes, marching in his great strength? It is I, the Lord, announcing your salvation. It is I, the Lord, who has the power to save. Why are your clothes so red, as if you have been treading out grapes? I have been treading the winepress alone. No one was there to help me. In my anger, I have trampled my enemies as if they were grapes. In my fury, I have trampled my foes. Their blood has stained my garments. For the time has come for me to avenge my people, to ransom them from their oppressors. I was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So I myself stepped in to save them with my strong arm, and my wrath sustained me. I crushed the nations in my anger and made them stagger and fall to the ground, spilling their blood upon the earth. There is only one remedy for sin, and that is the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrificial blood, which he shed on that cross for all mankind. He alone is worthy, and he alone can save. And so, dear friends, Take heed of the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God today as you seek a deeper personal relationship with Him. Thank you for joining me, and know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you so much that He died for you. Amen and Amen.